0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. And He is the one who is worthy of our praise because he is the one true God. Thank you so much, Sarah and team. That was such rich worship. And we'll do more of that together in just a little while. So if you haven't been with us in our Advent series here, if you happen to be a guest with us, once again, welcome. My name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning because this week and next is really kind of a two-part message as we look at these names of Jesus and the significance of what they are for us. And today we, we wrestle with and look at the reality of Jesus being our Emmanuel, God with us. And as I was thinking about the significance of names, uh, uh, several things came to mind. And one is maybe some trivia about me that you don't know. Now, for those of you who are part of our Grace family and have been here for years, you know a lot about me. But you don't know everything about me, especially when it comes to my name. Because originally, I was going to be named not Jay, but Jamie. Because in my family, I am the only boy. All the other kids are, are girls, And so this is a picture of my family of origin and I've talked about my family a lot and my dad a lot. And you can see from from the screen here, our family, this picture was taken about five years ago. I know I haven't aged a bit. Thank you. You're gracious. But that aside, this is my family of origin. That's my dad. He passed away about this time last year. He's with the Lord. Um, Directly behind him is my sister, Tracy. Um, She passed away shortly after this picture was taken. My um, sister, Holly, my next oldest sister is next to me and then that is my mom. But I was told by by my parents when I was a teenager, you know, we were originally going to name you Jay. We were gonna name you Jamie because we were absolutely convinced that you were a girl because we'd had two girls already. There aren't a lot of boys in our family, and in my dad's um, family, they're they're a big farm family, so among my cousins, there there aren't very many boys either. We just, we have lots of girls, evidently, in our genes. But that being said, I was supposed to be named Jamie, and when they found out I was going to be a boy, they thought, well, what are we going to do? We weren't really ready for that, so they decided to call me Jay. Now, my dad's name is James, so That was a way for for me to be connected to him. And that's why they, they named me Jay. They named me after my dad. And that's the thing with names is they designate, they identify not only who we are, but whose we are. And as we come to now, these names of Jesus We're going to be looking at, like we said, Emmanuel, God with us, and what that truly means for us today. Next week, Sean Rowley will be helping us see what Jesus means, that he is our Savior. And this is an oversimplification, but this week is really about who he is as Emmanuel, and next week will be about what he does for us as Savior. So let's dive into this amazing story And as we do, it's a story that is familiar to many of you, and I appreciate that, and I'm grateful for that. But maybe for some of you, this isn't a familiar story. This is the Christmas story. And as we begin to work our way through it, we're going to come back to it and then let it do its work with us. So here we go. The Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now there is so much going on in this story and we're going to look at just some of the details here. And this opening verse is a verse pregnant with meaning. And it's not just because Mary is unexpectedly pregnant. Luke devotes a lot of his time in his gospel to giving us much more detail about Mary and his focus is on Mary in this story. But Matthew focuses on Joseph, and we actually know more detail about Joseph than we do Mary here. But this is what we do know for her to be unexpectedly pregnant in that culture would have been a disaster. And let's enter into this for just a minute. I have two daughters. And if one of those daughters were to come home as a young teenager and to tell me, dad, I'm pregnant and the Holy Spirit did this to me, would I have difficulty believing that? And you can imagine how difficult it was for them to believe Mary's story. Because let's think about her options here. What can she do? So now she's pregnant. And in Luke's account, again, we get the details of the angel appearing to her, telling her she was going to, she was going to give birth to, to Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah. And in this incredible act of courage and faith, she says, let it be done to me as you have said. But with that came huge implications. Number one, she's not going to be able to hide it, or at least for very long. Everyone soon is going to know she's pregnant and she's not married. When it says she's pledged to be married in that culture, it meant that she actually was married just without the marriage ceremony. So there was an understandable commitment there. And so for her to be found pregnant, as this says, is is a very big deal for her because it was public and shameful and disgraceful in that culture to be pregnant and to not be married. And also in that culture, not only do you have this honor-shame thing going on, but the scripture tells us very deliberately that, that she was a law-abiding Jew, so she's under the law. And the law stipulated that for adultery, in this scenario, the punishment was stoning. Now scholars tell us this didn't happen very much at this point in the ancient Near Eastern history, but in small little backwater towns like Nazareth, it did happen. So the threat to her life now was very, very real. And single moms could not survive in that day and age. Again, a very different culture. You didn't have the means to provide for yourself as a single mom. So this was an incredibly precarious situation that she now finds herself in. And what is her family going to think? What is her dad going to believe when she comes home and tells him as a young unwed or at least not formally wed pregnant teenager? Yeah. The Holy spirit did this to me. What would Joseph's family think? What would their village think? What would Joseph himself think? Which now brings us to him. And in in this short verse here, it tells us volumes about Joseph. It says that he was faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. He did nothing wrong here. And and we know that Mary has done nothing wrong here, but, but he doesn't know that, assumably. At this point, he doesn't know how she got pregnant. He just knows she's pregnant. And now he's in a spot as well. What is he supposed to do? He could... It was within his rights to publicly divorce her. And you could imagine that the anger, the pain, the sense of betrayal that he must have felt, and that must have been very tempting to him. But it tells us that he was going to do, really, the only thing he could plausibly do to extricate himself from this situation besides a public divorce, and that was to divorce her privately. But still, even in that, this amazing man is assuming her shame. He's taking her shame upon him because there'll be lots of unanswered questions if this happens and people will assume that somehow he's at fault as well. And men, if you want to see a biblical example of a godly man, Joseph is a tremendous example. He chooses, not knowing all the details here, probably feeling very hurt, very betrayed, he chooses to take on the shame of who was supposed to be his wife and all the judgment and all the criticism and all that would come with this onto himself in order to try to protect her. This is the only way he can protect her and also extricate himself from this situation. And in Mary, we have this tremendous example of courage and trust in the Lord. And the same can be said for Joseph. But then the angel intervenes. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared in him in a dream. And look what he says, Joseph, son of David. Now, if you go back to that genealogy that we just looked at last week, Jesus' genealogy, who was Joseph's dad? Not David. The guy's name was Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's dad. So this angel is deliberately connecting the dots for Joseph that, This is going all the way back to King David. And I wonder how much in that moment Joseph truly understood. But basically the angel is saying, this is what God is doing. God has come through the baby in Mary's womb. I mean, it's it's an amazing statement. And of course, the angel explains what's going on and says, you will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Sean will take us there next week as to really what does that name fully mean and how is God working in this tremendous, these tremendous circumstances. But it really is remarkable when you begin to look at the courage of Mary and Joseph in this story with all that was stacked against them, all that this meant, how people would perceive them, the shame that would be assumed, the criticism, the ridicule, the gossip, the whispers in a small little town like Nazareth. There was no running away from this. There was no hiding from it. And yet we see such incredible trust in the Lord and a willingness to to choose to live by faith in what God said he was going to do. And as I've wrestled with this very familiar story for many of us, I've thought about what gave them their courage? Where did they get their strength? And I wonder, I wonder could it be because of what the names of Jesus meant? What did it truly mean that God was with them? And that's what we want to look at God with us, God with us, and God with us. We're going to look at each of those three dynamics. So let's consider this reality of God, God with us. Now, biblically, when you and I think of God and how he is represented in the Bible, what what pictures come to mind? When you think of God, what images come to mind biblically? Well, let's, let's do a quick survey of that together. So let's look at this in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22. It's describing the Lord freeing and then guiding the people out of Egypt. And it says he appeared as a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. And I wonder if it, if it could have looked like this. I mean, can you imagine how awesome, how overwhelming, how amazing the presence of God would have looked as a pillar of fire. But he's also described in this way. When he descends on Mount Sinai, when his presence is made visible there, it says there was thunder and lightning and smoke and fire and smoke like a furnace. It's this amazing picture. And again, these, these images don't even come close to doing it justice, but I wonder if it could have looked something like this. Just this amazing, incredible, awesome sight of, of God's presence. But this isn't the only way he's described. He's described when God appears in the tabernacle outside the, the tent, or excuse me, outside the camp in what was called the tent of meeting, it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, this, this glory cloud, the Shekinah glory. And, and I wonder if it looks something like this. I mean, it was, it was this overwhelming presence. And again, kind of like a pillar of fire, like he's described earlier in Exodus, but just this amazing picture. And then finally, in Ezekiel chapter 1, when God shows up, it describes him as a windstorm, a cloud, flashing lightning, brilliant light. And again, I, I really couldn't find a suitable image for this. And you've seen this image before when I preached through this passage some years ago, but this is an image, a picture really, of Hurricane Katrina when it made landfall so many years ago. Not the largest hurricane to ever hit um, our, our country, but the most expensive billions and billions of dollars worth of damage that it did as a category three when it finally hit land. But this is a picture of it when it made landfall. I mean, that's so awesome and overwhelming and amazing. And none of these images do justice to what God's presence is like. But now we have God coming as a baby. Is there anything more approachable, more familiar, more more inviting than a baby, a vulnerable baby? It's been said that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children as teenagers. And every grandparent I've ever talked to has said there's nothing more amazing than being a grandparent. And in the hundreds, maybe thousands of grandparents I've talked to in my lifetime, I've never had one say that they don't love being a grandparent and having a grandchild. So to hold this baby as the presence of God, we we could spend so much time just thinking about what that must have been like for Mary and for Joseph. But this this is the remarkable thing with this reality, is that religion says that people seek God. Somehow, someway, you are seeking God. That's what religion is about. But the Bible teaches, Christianity declares that God comes seeking us. And that's so hugely important for us to remember. What we celebrate at Christmas, what this season is about, is about a God who wants to be with us. And he enters this world in order to keep his Promises. Because that's the picture that we see of this amazing God. Don't we see as we consider this idea of what does it mean that God's with us? This God who constantly is working to get closer and closer and closer to his people who continually keep pushing him away, choosing brokenness and pushing him away. But let's just think super quick globally about this idea of God near us, God with us. The Bible starts out. With humanity, Adam and Eve being in a garden with God, literally in the presence of God, walking with God in the garden, having this incredible intimacy and closeness and nearness to him. And then they sin and brokenness enters the world and they're expelled from the garden. But the picture of the Bible of God's word is God seeking to repair and restore and redeem that and to get close to people once again. He, He leads them out of Egypt as this pillar of fire and cloud as we looked at earlier and then he descends on Mount Sinai. And then he shows up in the tabernacle, in the tent, outside the camp of the people, and then he moves into the tabernacle, in the middle of the camp of the people, and then they build a temple, and the temple is right in the middle of the community, and God is there, and now God comes as a baby, and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, once he grew up, became a man, fulfilled the mission that God had for him, he now comes into our lives through his spirit. This picture of God getting closer, and closer, and closer, and now, now he wants to be so close to you and me that he literally comes and lives inside of us through the power of his Holy Spirit and the presence of his Holy Spirit. My friends, the Bible, Christianity, the only worldview that teaches that God not only wants to be near us, but he wants to be so near to us that he comes inside of us. And when we celebrated communion last week, that is what we're emphasizing. And that is what we're celebrating. A God who is with us. It's amazing. And it's powerful. And it's life-changing. And we need him more than ever, do we not? I was talking with someone about COVID-19, which of course we're all talking about on some level, it seems like constantly. And this person and I were just thinking over the last several months, not just with COVID, but the, just the events that have happened in our community and our country and our world. And it was interesting as we're comparing notes to come to the realization that there are many false gods, false places of security that have been exposed in this season. I mean, think about it for a minute. It's so easy for us to put our stock in comfort, to put our assurance in what's in our bank account or our health, or just even be able to know what's, what's coming tomorrow. And there's so much uncertainty and so many unknowns and all these false gods really have been exposed. The God of materialism, the God of comfort, the God of familiarity, the God of health, you fill in the blank. All these things that our culture says we have to put our faith in, we have to make that our foundation. This has to be the source of our security. All those things have been exposed. Which of those things have been exposed for you? Man, more than ever, we are reminded that there is no substitute, there is no replacement for a God who is with us and that absolutely has been tested for all of us in some way shape or form in this in this season you know one of the difficulties one of the casualties of covid-19 has been relationships not just the lack of community and all of us struggling and wrestling with how do we navigate this and what does community look like? I mean, in my own family we're wrestling with how in the world are we supposed to celebrate Christmas this year with our, our different families who we're always used to getting together with in large groups. We're, we're still trying to figure out how to navigate that. And I know many of you are right there, but another side of that is countries that are a little further ahead of us in recovering from COVID are, are seeing some incredibly, difficult things happen. And that is because families have been so cooped up and have been isolated or have been together and just, you know, it's really forced a lot of brokenness and difficulty out into the open. And you have all these divorces that are now taking place because problems that were there have been magnified now. And because people have had to be together and haven't been able to figure out how to work those things out, you see families fracturing more than ever and just difficulties and relational struggles because everybody's with everybody. And so it's been tested and actually Christmas can be one of those times that is a test of family. I mean, there are some of you, if, if you're honest, you're, you're kind of relieved that you don't have to get together with certain members of your family, that COVID is an excuse for you to be able to keep your distance because your family is difficult and things don't go well when you get together. And maybe you're feeling kind of a sigh of relief that, well, now we have a way out. Now we, we don't have to get together or spend as much time together. There's just so many ways that, that this is all being tested and that we're being tested with this. And that's why it's so important when we feel lonely, when we're struggling, when our family is is in conflict, that God is with us. Because this God does things in ways that we just don't anticipate. You see, when Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, which is what he does when he said, God with us. He, he's reaching all the way back 700 years earlier into Israel's history, and he's showing that this is one of the many promises. God being with us that God is fulfilling. And this takes us all the way back to Isaiah seven. And I think this is really helpful as we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us to see where this comes from, and the significance of what this means, because it's a, it's a double sided prophecy. It was a promise that took place then. And it's a promise that Matthew's very deliberately helping his readers and hearers see is taking place now. So at this point in Israel's history, Israel is, is divided. The nation has divided into two kingdoms. There's 10 tribes in the north. There's two tribes in the south. And the tribes in the north are often referred to as Ephraim. And they have now allied themselves with what we would know to be present-day Syria. And so now it's 11 against 2. Overwhelming odds. And the 11 have said, we are coming and we are going to conquer you to the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so at this point in history, the prophet Isaiah is, is doing his thing and he comes to the king of Judah and, and this is what it says. This is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only Resin, and that was the, the king of Damascus. Within 65 years, Ephraim, the 10 northern tribes, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramilah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, real quickly, this looks very humble and very compliant, but it's exactly the opposite. It's a statement of unbelief. He's basically saying, oh, In his false humility, I'm not going to test God. And that's exactly what he's doing. And then Isaiah says, Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, and this is where our verse comes from that Matthew reaches back for, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and to choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. He's basically saying that people will be able to harvest and eat food, even though it looks like the nation is going to be obliterated in just a few years time. And that's exactly what happened. History tells us that in 722 BC, the first world major superpower, the Assyrian empire comes down into that part of Israel and they do exactly what was prophesied and promised here. Prophesied here. They basically obliterate the 10 tribes and Aram, Damascus. So it was a promise that was fulfilled at that point in history. But now Matthew's reaching back and saying, it's now fulfilled here. This was, There were two layers to this promise, this prophecy. This is a God who is with us. So let's talk about the us. Because this story, if you think about it critically, does not play out the way most of us would have it play out if we were the ones writing it. Because God does things backwards in this story than how many of us would do it. I mean, let's think about this. If you were God's promoter, if you worked for the Lord in in promotion and PR and he came to you and said, okay, I'm gonna be coming into the world to fulfill thousands of years of promises. How should I do it? Well, Lord, for starters, we need to have a massive media campaign. We need to have a massive social media blitz. We need to be very deliberate in who we invite. Where we do this, the lighting, the cues, the performance, it absolutely needs to be center attention, center stage. There has to be absolutely no way anyone could miss that. Everybody absolutely needs to be zeroed in and dialed in for when you take the stage. So this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to promote it. This is how we're going to make it happen. Is that the Christmas story? And the answer? No. No. God chooses to come as a manual to an unwed, poor teenage peasant girl in a little backwater town that no one's ever heard of. And most of the people at the time missed it. The successful people, the rich people, the affluent people, the important people, they're not at the birth of Jesus. Who's there? Who's at the birth of Jesus and shows up a couple years later as we'll look at on Christmas Eve with the Magi who, who eventually sees him and understands this is God. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. It's shepherds who were the lowest of the low in that culture. And it's Magi who at the very least were foreigners. It's a remarkable story and it's not how we would do things. It's this upside down kingdom. And it's amazing. Because what we see on display once again, what we saw in Jesus' genealogy, what we now see in the circumstances and events of his birth is God's grace. God's come, God comes to broken, undeserving, ordinary people and does extraordinary things in an extraordinary way to bring healing and hope and renewal. You see, in our world, Empty religion especially divides the people into us and them. There's the good people, and then there's you, the bad people. And that's not how scripture divides the world or assesses the world. There is no us and them. There's there's really just us. We all start out in the same place. Everyone is broken apart from right relationship with Emmanuel, Jesus, Jesus through him being in your heart and your life through his Holy Spirit. There's broken people and then there's people who are being redeemed and repaired and restored and who are in process. That's it. There, There really is no us and them. And the reality is that when Emmanuel comes into you, when God is truly with you, he changes your life. He changes you from the inside out. You begin to move from being a broken person to a person in process of being repaired and restored and renewed to who God always intended you to be. And so therefore, because God is a generous God, you become a generous person. And that's what was on display this last week with the Advent Conspiracy Christmas Party. I am so proud of Rhonda Patrick and Jacob Hansen and Matt Patrick and Dave Pritchard and all the other people who reimagined and re-engineered this event in order to make it happen in this season of COVID. So we just moved it outside. I can tell you that it rained for two and a half of the three hours that we did this event. It was cold, it was rainy. And so many of you turned out to help pull this off and make it happen. And you saw these statistics in the video, but I want you to know that embedded within these numbers are stories of God's grace. And I'm gonna tell you just one. So my wife, Jamie and I, and our youngest daughter, kaylea, we were um, out beside the building there helping direct traffic and in particular, direct people to Christmas trees who wanted them. And there's this one mom who drove up in this, in this car full of kids and um, she had just received, you know, hot chocolate and cookies and socks and had come to our station now. And so my daughter asked her, do you want a Christmas tree? And she looked stunned. She looked shocked. And she said, you're giving away Christmas trees. And she she said, yeah, we are for free. Yes. There's one for you if you want it. And she burst into tears. And as she drove by me, I was a little further away, you know, directing people to the Christmas trees. She couldn't even talk. She was just sobbing tears of joy. And that's just one of the many stories of God's grace. And why was she overwhelmed with gratitude and joy? Because of God's grace. She was getting something she didn't expect and maybe even didn't deserve. I don't know, but what I do know is that Emmanuel, God with us, he is the source of our hope. He is the source of our grace. He gives us purpose. And my friends, for those of us who know him, for those of us who he is our Emmanuel, he blesses us, not just to bless us, but so we can be a blessing to others. That is why we do Advent Conspiracy in the name of Jesus Christ. We have been blessed and now we get to bless others. It's an incredible story that we are a part of. So are you a part of this amazing story? Have you responded to his grace? Have you responded to the reality that he is Emmanuel? Have you received him into your life as your God, as your Emmanuel? Because when you do, he will begin to change you from the inside out. And one of the fundamental things is that he changes your identity. Because of his identity, you will now have a new identity if he's your God. I came across a story that just so vividly illustrated this. This is the title of the story. And as our worship team comes and as we prepare to respond in music worship, I'd like to share this with you. It's titled Indian girls shed unwanted names. And what you see on your screen there is a picture of an Indian girl in incredible joy receiving a new identity. It says this, More than 285 Indian girls whose names mean unwanted in Hindi chose new name Saturday for a fresh start in life a central Indian district held a renaming ceremony in hopes that it would give the girls new dignity and help fight widespread gender discrimination that gives India a skewed gender ratio with far more boys than girls. The 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with a small flower bouquet from the Satara district officers in Masharat State. Quote, now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me this new name, and that makes me very happy, said a 15-year-old girl who had been named Nakuska, which means disappointing, by a grandfather who had been disappointed by her birth. Activists say that the name unwanted, which is widely given to girls across India, gives them the feeling they're worthless and a burden. Quote, when a child thinks about it, you know, my mom, my dad, all my relatives in society call me unwanted. She will feel bad and depressed. But giving these girls a new name is a new beginning. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that someday when we are, With God, when we receive Him into our lives as our Emmanuel, someday He will give us a new identity. He will give us a new name. It says it's a name that's only known to Him and to us. And it's an expression of intimacy. And it's an expression of value. And it's indicative of change. My friends, If you know Jesus Christ, if he is your Emmanuel, you have a new identity. You are a new creation. You are a new person. You have a new beginning and you have a new story. So as we respond in worship now, as we sing about this amazing Emmanuel, as you hear these words, as you reflect on your identity, Would you remember who you are because of who he is? And let me pray for us as we do so. Lord Jesus, thank you that as our Emmanuel, you are God with us. You give us a new identity, a new beginning, a fresh start. We are new creations and we celebrate a God who does what he promises to do. Thank you, Lord, for what we have in you, for who we are in you. And it's in Jesus' name, our Emmanuel, that we pray. Amen. And he is God with us. He is God with us. He's God with us. He's God with us. And I hope that he is with you. And I wanna pl- pray his, bl- my, his blessing over you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Sometimes, Lord, we forget that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you were with us. Sometimes we act like you're not with us. But Lord, we thank you that you are the God who keeps your promises. We are thankful that because of who you are, we changed become our Emmanuel thank you Lord for that truth for that hope for that joy we praise you we worship you we love you and it's in your name we pray amen so because he is Emmanuel go and live for him thank you for joining us for sermon audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham Oregon For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.